Ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of the Wrestling Connection podcast. We are here for episode number 18. That's maybe the WrestleMania 18 team. Welcome again, everybody. Uh, my name is Chris and this is Glenn. And uh, the last couple of episodes, we actually had banked and we had uh, pre-recorded for a little bit. So it's actually been a while since we've recorded together. So a wise man once said, hello, my friend, we meet again. It's been a while. Where should we begin? <laughs> Feels like forever. <laughs> How are you, my friend? It's been a oh, while. It's been a while. It's lovely to hear your dulcet tones. I am really well. <laughs> I tell you what, man. It's uh, at the date of recording. I won't reveal, but we're at the beginning of August, and uh, it means I'm going back to school really soon. Um, but I'm I'm good, and I'm ready, and I'm excited, and I'm nervous, and. Uh, it's been five months since I think. Yeah, it's crazy. March a, a, since a full day of teaching, so I'm I'm ready for it. But yeah, I, I'm in good spirits. I really am. How are you today, my good friend? Very good, thank you very much. It's nice to uh, to, to hear you again and reconvene after a long absence. The reason it's been a long absence is because life has been a bit hectic. Um, mainly for my partner here because he has been in the process of selling his house and he's been away for a bit and going back to work and all that stuff. So really, I'm just sitting here pestering him to do another episode. He's the one going through <laughs> big life changes. So if anybody's well. to thank for the success of this podcast, it's him, not Paul Heyman. Should we talk about that? <laughs> Should yes, we talk about no. that? So talking about the fact that it's been it's been a long time since we we recorded and about eight or nine days ago, I was out with my dog, lovely sunny day, when my phone goes, and I'm, I love it. I loved it because um, I actually got the text because I've changed my ringtone, so it's the synthy thing from Radio Gaga. So it goes, dur, 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 dur. you know the, the really? song. <laughs> <laughs> do it again. Do it again. <laughs> dur, 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 dur. <laughs> um, okay. So I've already got kind of my hands full, and I, so I can't really use my phone comfortably because I've got a hand with the dog on the lead. Uh, she's The dog is going into season, so we don't really want her running about off the lead where a male dog can have his yeah. way with her, you know? <laughs> oh, um, I know. Um, so uh, I look at this text and it's just a screenshot. And you know that way sometimes when you send a screenshot on Messenger or WhatsApp or whatever, you don't see the whole thing. It's kind of cropped until you open it. So yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't think much of it. I saw Paul Heyman and I just thought that he'd maybe tweeted about being fired like you know from his position on raw or something right, like that yeah. you know maybe maybe it was just an interesting story and you being the good friend and fellow wrestling companion that you are you were just uh, letting me know that something had happened in the wrestling world and then <laughs> i see <laughs> the artwork by the wonderful jamie sweeney i see a little cartoon chris and a little cartoon glenn uh that cartoon glenn by the way who has a very generous hero <laughs> <laughs> after these few, last few months uh and you know what it turns out that um, you, here's the thing, folks, Chris really does all the hard work with this podcast. He uh, does all the kind of social media stuff. I've done little <laughs> bits here and there, but he clips everything and puts out the little um, clips of the show out for people to get a taste of it. I wonder if you should do more of that, though. You really should after this whole, whole thing. Exactly. I should have done it. I should have really taken advantage of it, but I was <laughs> clearly too lazy. <laughs> Uh, so one of the things that he clipped was part of the meet a wrestler from a couple of weeks ago, which was when, when I spoke about the Inside the Rope show with Paul Heyman and meeting Paul yeah. Heyman. And uh, you you just, you, you, as you always do, you, you'd kind of edited it, you'd clipped it and put out a little 30 second or so sample, maybe it was a minute long. 
uh, and Heyman, Paul Heyman, like the Paul Heyman, the verified account Paul Heyman, had listened to this and taken the time to not just retweet it or like it, but to retweet it with a comment to say that I got to admit this is pretty LM. Was it again? What was it? You young LMFAO. LMFAO. Now, folks, if you're of the older uh, temperament, i.e., me, if you're if you're more vintage, to quote Michael Cole, uh, that stands for laughing my effing ass. No, I've I've already screwed it up. Yes, what is that's it? it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, don't doubt yourself just because La- you're a bit older. Laughing my effing ass off, right? So, um, <laughs> so the, Paul Heyman does that. And he he tweets it, and then other people see it. And that video, I don't know how many views those videos usually do when we put them on Twitter, but that's had thousands of views now, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely the most exposure our wee podcast has ever yeah. had, and it also led to um the 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 amazing folks at Inside the Ropes, of course, who are the the brilliant. Uh, company that brought him over in 2016 um, and are responsible for that even happening that story and, uh, and they, let's be honest are responsible for the meet a wrestler segment here on the wrestling connection yeah <laughs> it would have stopped after rikishi and john cena i'm pretty sure yeah. uh, had it not been for them so like they they also retweeted it which is awesome and uh, it was just it was just a, a really nice thing and what got me is that paul Heyman, you know doesn't need to do that the guy has two million followers on twitter uh, he's a well-known guy and he could easily have ignored it he could easily have just liked it but he did what he did and and i know it would only have taken him like less than a minute to do all of that but he chose to do it probably knowing that it would help us out a great deal and it did so paul Heyman, thank you you're a some man and i will try my best to do better next time i meet you <laughs> some man some man paul that's the thing that got me you know what i mean like sometimes when i've maybe posted something i've done on youtube or something whoever it's about might retweet it or like it or something that's always really cool but the fact that like they actually wrote a comment about it and and i get maybe he didn't listen to it but and maybe just got the vibe that it was funny but he didn't you know what i mean but he didn't need to type that and it made him up and that's the thing as well he wrote that it was funny so then all yeah. of his followers must be like well if Heyman found it funny I better listen you know what I mean so that kind of it just gave me a pure buzz you know that's why I had to share it with you and I was like it's just those are the wee small things that really make this all this worth it you know the recording for hours and sound checks and sometimes you have laptop and computer issues and stuff that's fine yeah. because sometimes <laughs> Paul Heyman will take the time to tweet these things you know what I mean I've done like Jericho's done it a bunch of times um if I've been reacting to a Fozzie song or something yeah yeah like uh, Jericho did a Christmas song I think it was mm. just this past Christmas it may have been the one before. No, it was definitely this past Christmas. And I tweeted about it and and like he replied to it or, or retweeted it saying, oh, thanks, Chris, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Just that stuff makes you go, oh, that's cool. You know, um, I think I posted one of the videos, one of the reactions I had stuff on the day that he won the AEW yeah. World title. And he retweeted it on that day as well. So I was like, he's probably sitting backstage. Like I was over at my mates watching the pay-per-view. He's probably mm-hmm. sitting backstage going through Twitter, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he saw my tweet and retweeted it at the time. I just thought that was really cool. So always a really um, a big deal when those things happen. The fact that it's there's Paul been... Heyman, who, as you've said last week or, or the week before, he doesn't do these things very often, doesn't do yeah. signings, doesn't do shows like that. So it's, uh, it's a also, rare Heyman thing, you know? At time of recording, it's been over a week since he did it, and he hasn't tweeted since. <laughs> you know, he hasn't liked yeah, anything. Yeah, still go on at Heyman Hustle on Twitter. You, you still see our, our wee faces there. So that was really cool. And I, I do have to do more of that. Um, and and tag people I always feel bad because they're probably like their um their, their timelines are probably full of stuff anyway. But if I can yeah. tag people, then maybe they'll see it. You know? Did I tell ever tell you that I used to DM with our truth on MySpace in the two thousands? No, I, I knew Grado did, but I didn't know you did that. Did Grado do it as well? So our yeah. truth was always really good for um replying to people, 
And I used to just message wrestlers on MySpace just to see if they replied. I mean, John Cena with John Cena was one of the first high-profile guys to have a MySpace in the noughties, and I tried so many times to get a reply from him, and I never got anything. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I spoke to the Blue Mini as well a lot on MySpace, oh, nice. um, and uh, I remember this is when he was in TNA, our uh, truth, and uh, I think it was when he was maybe the NWA champion actually. Um, or maybe a little bit after that, but it was it was definitely before his his most recent um, decade plus long WWE run, uh, and I just would try and write something just to see if I could get a reply because it was the the buzz. I was fourteen or fifteen, yeah. uh, so he was always pushing his music, and it was that. Do you remember that time he was always like dissing John Cena and stuff? Uh, yeah, he was in TNA and he was doing all all his all his rap music. Um, and so I DM'd him on MySpace, like sitting on the one family laptop up in my mum's bedroom, like saying, uh, hi, uh, when is the new record available? Huge fan. And then he replied saying, hi, it's, um, it'll be available on this date. And we went back and forth for ages. And then, uh, I would just ask him questions about his music. And then eventually it kind of dried up and about four weeks later, I went online again and he'd messaged me saying, hi, just to let you know that's the album available now. <laughs> no way. And then, and then he followed up with, here's the link. And I never bought the album. And to this day, I still think <laughs> I need to buy I need to buy it. Well, I didn't have any money then. You know, I was a teenager. Exactly. I, I, exactly. I feel like I need to buy R-Truth's album uh, just to, just to uh, you know, justify this deception. Because well, like, he's a businessman. Do you know what I mean? All these guys are independent contractors. They're just trying to make a bit of, you know, trying to make a living. So yeah, you know, sometimes you have to hustle like that, you know. So I don't have any issue with them trying to. But it's like Conrad trying to sell Bluetooth to you when you met Conrad. <laughs> That's another story another time. I know. I know. That's uh, oh god. I, I did that with a couple of, like the Scottish wrestling stuff. I try and message them on on Facebook, and uh, I sent the link to one of like my backyard wrestling matches to Lionheart on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said to him, uh, do you mind like checking this out and let me know your feedback? And it's literally like a video of me and my mate Grant on my trampoline and I'm doing like the rock bottom and stuff to him. And like we had this kind of hardcore match, quote unquote, with each other with milk cartons and that. And uh, Lionheart just replied saying, oh, like, what is this? And I said, oh yeah, it's just my wrestling company, uh, CWA. Chris's yeah. Wrestling Association, backyard <laughs> style tra- trampoline wrestling. And he was like straight away replying like this big paragraph, like, don't be a bonehead, don't be a clown, please leave the danger to us. <laughs> like, just be like, sorry, man, I don't condone that. Please just take care of yourselves. And I don't mind you doing it, but don't try and make me talk about it. So um, I was like, oh, 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 no worries. Thanks anyway. That was the first time I ever had an interaction with him. And then I brought it up to him when I met him in the future. And I'll, I'll, and I'll tell that story another day. So. He didn't remember it. Let's just say that. But yeah, good kid. Yeah, always found, always found that very nerve wracking, and <laughs> I was always very anxious to do that. But for some reason, there was a buzz about it. So now that Paul Heyman has listened to a podcast, and Lionheart may or may not have watched me drop kick my pal, there we go. There we go. It is. Um, it is the summertime, ladies and gents, and every wrestling fan knows that the best time to be a wrestling fan is probably springtime. To be honest with you, around WrestleMania. Yeah. But the yeah. second best time, I love watching wrestling in the summertime. I love. You know, being warm outside and coming in and watching some wrestling or staying up late to watch the pay-per-view and it's bright outside when you go to bed. Yeah. I don't know. There's just something about the summertime, being a wrestling fan, watching the pay-per-views around this time, whether it be Money in the Bank or whatever it's been Extreme Rules in the past or Payback mm, or whatever, yeah. Battleground, I think it was one year. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but then the end of summer is always SummerSlam and it's always this big thing. Yeah. Um, I always look forward to SummerSlam because it is like um, Pete is around my birthday sort of time. A couple of times it's fallen on the day of my birthday, which I guess we'll get into. Um, I've got a couple of funny stories about that. 
And um, yeah, I just think SummerSlam is one of my favourite pay-per-views of the year. So we thought because SummerSlam is so close, uh, and this is a, a SummerSlam that we've never seen before because of the circumstances surrounding the world, yeah. it's going to be a memorable SummerSlam for one reason or another. We thought we'd do some form of SummerSlam special right here on the Wrestling Connection. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about every single SummerSlam main event that's ever happened. So up until 2020, there's been 32 matches that has main evented SummerSlam. And Glenn had the wonderful idea. <laughs> the to, ambitious idea. Yeah, the <laughs> to maybe watch all these matches and we can kind of talk about them, maybe pick our favourites or least favourites, any funny memories and any funny moments we have whilst watching these 32 main events. And that can be your SummerSlam special. So in, in terms Ooh. of SummerSlam as a pay-per-view and as a show every year, what what comes to mind straight away? Is it, is it something you always look forward to? What does it remind you of? It reminds me of me always feeling like August wasn't summer as a child because in right. Scotland the schools go back you know relatively early on in August. Um, well, sometimes it's more the middle of August, depending. Yeah. But I always felt like SummerSlam should be a July event. So sometimes SummerSlam would come with a hint of sadness because I knew I'd have to be going back to school quite pretty soon as a yeah, child. Me too. Um, but. I have some really lovely like childhood memories of, of being excited about SummerSlam and getting ready for it. I always saw it as a kid. This is weird because, I mean, a bar a couple of main events, I don't really know what my logic was, but I always saw the SummerSlam as the Rocks thing. Maybe because he was oh, like right. on the 2001 poster and the 2000 poster and the 2002 poster. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then when I was caught looking at the 2003 poster, it was snatched away, away from me. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the Power Slam magazine, we'll get to that. Um. So uh, it's just, uh, you know, I've always felt of it more as a, a, a rock pay-per-view, which is weird because there's only in a fraction of the matches that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, but that, that was kind of what it meant to me. SummerSlam was August and, you know, that was always Robert's birthday month. I'll uh, um, just quickly tell you that uh, my friend Robert's birthday is today, the day of recording. It's the month of August and I... Uh, have another mainstay of SummerSlam on his birthday card. It's a John Cena birthday card, which nice. says, which I bought a few months ago, thinking that we wouldn't be allowed to see each other in August. So it's John Cena, and it says, I'm sorry, I can't see you on your birthday. Very good. Um, Very good. The irony being that I spent about half an hour looking for it this morning because I couldn't find it because I bought it in March. <laughs> uh, so he almost literally wouldn't be able to see the card, you know. Um, but the thing is, uh, before we get deep into SummerSlam, I just want to quickly send you a picture of the card because the i'm a little bit skew if about the likeness of john cena on this card so i've just sent okay. you a couple of pictures there if you want to look at that and tell me what this image makes you think of <laughs> oh my god what is that <laughs> who drew that <laughs> i mean to be fair that actually looks more like robert than it does john cena <laughs> i mean they've got the kind of body shape right i guess and and the hat. I don't know. I paid for this. Yeah. Was it expensive? It bloody was, actually. <laughs> Where did you get that card? Uh, Thoughtful, uh, the online card provider. Oh, right, right. You didn't go to Clinton's or whatever and find this one. No, I certainly didn't. No. I expect better from Clinton's. So that's what Robert's getting later on today when I go and see him. Nice. What's the plans? Are you going to go and watch some wrestling as a, as a group? Yeah, I think we're going to meet up and um, we're going to chill out and watch some wrestling, um, but or just you know, mess about. Um, it's my up, last yeah. last day of freedom for me. But honestly, I, I I could do better when I was in standard grade art. 
Yeah, <laughs> I definitely couldn't. But there you go. No, I think you'll appreciate that, and you'll probably get a good kick out of the way the card looks as well. So yeah, that's a thoughtful cool. card. I think that's a, that's a really cool. you, you talked about going back to school um, around SummerSlam sort of time. Uh, that would that was always one of the things I would think about. Like as soon as the summer holidays were announced and stuff, I would always look, you know, when we were going back and when SummerSlam was because I wanted to see if I could watch it live. Yeah, uh, that was like on the top of my mind every year when I was in school, and I think really when I was in school. I can't even tell you which ones I watched. I think every single year, the Monday, you know, after the next day, we were back to school. I think apart the later ones, obviously, when I wasn't in school anymore, I've been watching live, but like not many. Mm. Maybe one I've like pulled a sickie or something. I don't know, but yeah, um, most of them. I'm, I'm looking through these ones I've written down here. And I'm like, I don't remember watching any of these live. So um, it was always like a. It's quite exciting though. You go back to school and you have that all that anxiety of going back to school and nervousness and stuff and getting back into your timetable and stuff and then once your your stressful day has been over then you go home and get to watch SummerSlam you know I think that was always a fun novelty especially mm. of, like all pay-per-views really when, when I was in school but especially SummerSlam because it was fresh you know uh, back to the new school year so that's what I think about in terms of when I was younger watching SummerSlam yep. now it's just another pay-per-view really but again if it, this year if it's on a beach or if it's in the water if it's on a boat or whatever all the rumours are maybe by the time you're hearing this it's been announced but um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it. I'm, so. I'm excited for it. Like, there's a lot about wrestling. Wrestling is really like a mixture right now of things that I love and things I'm like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, <laughs> underground, raw underground. Um, but um, <laughs> but you know the, the 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 question mark over what 2020 will bring for SummerSlam has got me really excited. So I'm 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 pumped for it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And just I hope that you know they said that maybe we can get some fans in. You know, I don't know if that's going to be the case. I don't know if that's possible. But like, I just hope it looks like a show that you're going to want to go back and watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're going to yeah. want to just take the time to go, I remember how great SummerSlam looked, you know? Because, I mean, at first, WrestleMania was like a novelty. You know, oh, look, it's at the Performance Center. Whereas now, it's just the norm now. So I'm looking for something different, you know? So mm-hmm. um, it's going to be very, very exciting. And I hope, listen, I'm a big Randy Orton fan, but I just hope Drew retains the title and gets one appearance in front of a crowd with that title. My God, such a Scottish person's luck to I have know. your world title reign in front of nay people. Here's the thing, I'm a big Drew guy and I want that for Drew as well. But if I if I take away my patriotism and if I'm looking at this objectively, I kind of think Randy needs to win this because he, he's on such a streak right now. Yeah, I think he's probably um, going to win as well. And I think, I think uh, you know, maybe Drew will at least get to lose the title in front of some fans, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, I, I genuinely think if Drew's title reign ends in 2020, ends at SummerSlam, I think he he should be considered to be I know when people talk about who's the best world champion of all time, like that that you know that that question is always subject to well what were the what was the context? So I'm not saying he's the best WWE champion of all time, but I think he needs to be one of the most highly significant champions of all time because he carried the company throughout this entire thing. Um, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous just how he's been so great and been in this situation. You know what I mean? I think all of his title defenses have been more than great. Um, it's just, I don't know. I just wish there was some more sort of glamour to it. You know what I mean? It's just all a bit yeah. kind of flat just now. And that's just such a shame. But I just think he's done such a great job. You know what I mean? His promos. Talk about, I, I recently watched TLC 2009, my pay-per-view. And mm-hmm. um, and he wins the Intercontinental title for the first time. <clears throat> and it was the same show that Sheamus won the WWE title for the first time. And they're like best pals. So that was like a big thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Drew does a promo after he wins the title. And my God, his pro- he's still got the mad Ayrshire Scottish accent. Yeah. Um, obviously now it's completely I don't even know what accent he has now but he's went through that it's speech therapy hybrid, thing yeah. 
Yeah, um, and just the charisma, and it's just you can see him enjoying himself, and he's confident. You know what I mean? It's just like the yeah. it's night and day. You watch his first promo with the title to now when he's the WWE champion, he's the main guy. It's just night and day. So um, I'm very very happy for him, and I you, hope here's the thing, dude. something happens. Get, you know, if he if he loses at SummerSlam, and I think he should, uh, I don't think that's his last reign. If if he has really become the star he should be, then that that won't be his last reign. And I hope I, so. I'd like to I'd like to think he's got at least another decade of different types of runs. You know, heel runs, face runs, uh, and what I'd love is for them to finally do a TV again in Scotland, or God knows, maybe even a oh, pay or something, and have him there. You know, they can't, even if NXT UK came and did take over Glasgow or take over Edinburgh, you know, whatever, it would be a crime not to have them show up, wouldn't it? Yeah, just have one appearance, do a promo, claim or someone, you know, I don't know. He's become a hero. He was in the newspaper, he was on all the, like the, he was in this morning, he was on Lorraine Kelly, not even in person, but just that footage of him beating Lesnar was on the telly, you know what I mean? Yeah. Everywhere, on newspapers and websites and Rangers TV and all that stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah. bonkers. It became a, a mainstream thing. So I'm so happy for him. I'm proud of him. And uh, I'm looking forward to see where he goes. Shall we get into the SummerSlam rundown then, my friend? Uh, we should after a toilet break. Let's do it. Toilet break. Oh, yeah. And we're back from a nice, short toilet break. <clears throat> hey, I washed so, my hands. Good. <laughs> good. Um, so in terms of doing this, how did you manage? I know we probably... We're probably guilty of maybe missing one or two of these matches, but how did you get on in terms of watching the matches? Right, it was ambitious because I thought when I you know, when I proposed this, I had a, a a staycation week away in the Scottish countryside ahead of me, so I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna watch all the wrestling, um, and it was just me and my wife and the dogs, like just we you know all the space, all the time in the world, but inevitably, like you know, uh, sometimes I was in the mood just to read or play with the dogs or go yeah. for a walk, or or we would go and see, like you know, so we we do have family there, so we could we could still do things, so I didn't you know get through everything there's there's some summer slams that i was quite confident to skip or watch highlights of just because I'm, I'm really familiar with particularly the ones from my childhood or more recent years so the ones that i really watched intensely and deeply were really from the first 10 to 15 years of SummerSlam, and i have to say i really enjoyed it like i did something similar in the build-up to wrestlemania 30 which i'm aware was you know uh, five four four years ago Six years six ago? Six years ago, sugar. Um, I did that. I watched every WrestleMania up in the build-up to that. And so there was a few things that came up to me that I really enjoyed. So even as we kick off with SummerSlam 1988, the first ever SummerSlam, and, uh, you know, which is, that is your, your mega powers and mega bucks. You've got Hogan yeah. and Savage versus DiBiase and Andre the Giant. And the first thing that just uh, it stuck out to me, which I remembered from re-watching all the WrestleManias, is just how hot the crowd is pardon the pun but like those guys could play rock paper scissors and they would go banana for it and it's cause it's cause they they are so sold on the characters that's what they love about this it's not you know they know they're not there for your your tokyo dome five-star match yeah but they get a bloody spectacle and the funny thing is man like we speak so much about how rock and hogan is an excellent wrestling match from wrestlemania 18 because it's maybe not a great technical match but it's the theater of it but what we often forget when we say that is that that was wrestling in the 80s what hogan was doing was having a style of match which those fans hadn't seen in a long time in the wwf yeah um and 
you know that 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 match has like uh like this loud crowd is air horns and you know this is only like a few months after uh the wrestlemania four Four, yeah when Rancho wins the title yeah yeah, savage wins the title in trump plaza uh, in front of donald trump of all people Um, (laughs) and what this also for me is is amazing is that this is when like you know, Hogan was their guy and they would book things from year to year because there were less pay-per-views. So they could say, okay, so Hogan's going to get, you know, knocked out of the tournament facing Andre at WrestleMania 4 and uh, Randy's going to win the title and then the Mega Power is going to be a thing and that way Hogan can still be in the main event but Savage yeah. gets the title run and that means they can plant the seeds for WrestleMania 5. So you have to think that when Hogan body slammed Andre at WrestleMania 3, they kind of knew where they were going. You know, they knew that Savage was on the rise. Savage yeah. was going to win the belt at 4 and then the Mega Powers would eventually collide at 5. And obviously you can see when you watch this match that they're planting the seeds for Hogan and Savage because they're already doing the you know Hogan hugging Elizabeth and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, they can tell that they're starting to build the tension. I, I loved watching this match. What did you think of it? It's very clever, isn't it? Very good booking and actually un- an underrated time for booking because we don't think about the booking of this era. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I feel like when, when there's a good story told in the kind of modern era, you go, oh, this is brilliant. And the performers are so good and they've laid it out perfectly and the selling is ridiculous. But when we think back to the late 80s, we just think of Hogan always winning. Hogan must pose and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But realistically, they're just sitting down and going, okay, let's create an actual good story that people can get invested in and follow and by planting these seeds, and don't get me wrong, Hogan's a great performer, you know. Obviously, he's had, you know, these stories told about him where he's been a bit of a diva and he's been mm. not the nicest guy in the world to deal with and things have come out about him in the past, you know, that he's said and that sort of thing. Yeah, but he's a great performer. There's no way he would be Hulk Hogan and be as popular as he was and is if he wasn't such a great performer, you know. Yeah. Um, just the way that he, it's the way that he moves, the way that he tilts his head in a certain way, the, the way that he punches someone, the way he points his finger at someone just make people jump off their seat i don't know what it is the charisma he's got the sort of personality that he's yeah. got the just aura the energy he brings is ridiculous not to me. mention yeah and not to mention that he's with randy savage who may be arguably the most charismatic wrestler ever you know what i mean yeah he's um like, oh the two of them he, together are great he had hogan's charisma but he had a bit more technical prowess he could actually put on a five-star classic yeah. of a more technical sort as well um those two men were you they were oozing charisma but speaking of, of things oozing uh, one thing that i want to stress about this and the next few years worth of matches is how much i love jesse ventura as a commentator really really uh, nice. That's I, good to hear. i'm a huge ventura fan and i remember when i was initially doing my run of watching wrestlemania's a few years ago when it finally got to the point where he'd left the wwf and he wasn't there i really missed him so doing this run i missed him when he disappeared and i was so happy when he showed up in 1999 to main event the referee the main event um <laughs> yeah. So, like, he's just so good. He's such a great sucking up to the heels, but he's also quite intimidating. He's got such a determined voice. It's like, like, unlike Jerry Lawler, no disrespect to him, he sucks up to the heels, but in a way that, you know, if I was sat next to him, I wouldn't disagree with him, wouldn't have the guts to. Yeah, you know what I mean? Good point. I, yeah, yeah. I am. Um, so, everything from the theater of that main event to the way that um, Ventura, you know, discusses it to. Hogan, uh, sorry, to Andre and, and DiBiase and how they play their role. It's, um, it's. I think you know, it's. Is it a technical classic? Definitely not. Is it fun to watch? Yeah, 
it's fun because the fun the, the, the audience is into it and they can make such a difference it's why we miss audiences so much and i have to say you can probably give the exact same analysis to the following year 1989 if you're cool to move on like yeah uh hogan and, and british beefcake versus savage and zeus can we just talk about zeus for a second <laughs> Who was he? Do you know what I mean? He obviously was no. in that movie with Hogan, No Holds Barred. He yep. was the bad guy in the movie. He and was Vince loved character. it so much. Yeah, he loved it so much. He made him an actual wrestler. I love so it. So this is the thing. I learned a lot about Zeus in the pre- preparation for this. So uh, Zeus is, if you don't know, folks, the fictional villain from No Holds Barred. He is played by the actor Tom Lister Jr., who's most well-known out with No Holds Barred for his role in, in Fifth Element. But he also was an Austin Powers gold member as prisoner number two. And he mm. was also tattooed prisoner in The Dark Knight. Did you know really? that? Yeah, he was. You know <laughs> no, that scene. That scene when they're in the boats. He's in that scene, right. uh, and Zeus he's tattooed. Is and uh, but the, if you go on his IMDb or his Wikipedia page, he's done a lot of different things in film and television, mostly minor roles. But the thing that he's done a lot of prolific stuff in his music videos. Like, see everybody in music that you can think of who's a big deal right now. He's been yeah. in one of their music videos. I'm, I kid you not. What, Zeus, about, what about Ariana Grande? He's been in an Ari Grande video, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay. I I don't know. Like I've not watched a lot of these videos, but my God, it's uh, is he he's had a quite a career, and I also didn't know that he then played a version of this Z gangster, a Z gangster in uh, WCW in the nineties. Of course, he did. Of course he I did. didn't know this. I did not know this. So there you go. Good, um, on, him, man. Good on him. We're getting yeah. this extra these extra paydays. You know what I mean? An actor just who got a role in a film. And now he's performing in front of 20,000 people in the Meadowlands Arena in New Jersey, which then became the IZOD Centre, which is when that that famous crowd from 2013, remember, when like uh, when Ziggler cashed in and all that stuff in New Jersey after WrestleMania 29, and everybody on Twitter was like, eh, induct the IZOD Centre into the Hall of Fame next year. <laughs> That's where this match took place. Um, I am... Um... I have all. I wonder has Conrad booked Zeus to do Starcast yet? Has that he happened? He must have done. He must have. Done. I mean, you're missing a you're missing a beat here, or or Zed Gangsta, if you will. Um, Zed Gangsta, jeez, oh man! But he, here's the thing, and this probably wouldn't happen nowadays. Everyone in that arena knows that Zeus is a character. He's an actor playing a wrestler and doing, can I just say, a good job of it as well. And he looks the part as well, doesn't he? He, really he does. looks pure mean and menacing. But the fans are just you're 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 like if you're a wrestler in that audience that's your ideal crowd because they don't they can suspend their disbelief like that because yeah. as soon as that bell rings they're like oh my god there's the bad guy boo this man boo him and so yeah. when he's there teaming with savage and and this is the other thing if you're a, a not so competent amateur kind of wrestler what better company to be in you're in there with hogan and savage and, and no exactly british beefcake did you did you by the way notice the the kid who's dressed as british beefcake as he was making his entrance he was totally, I don't remember, no. He was cosplaying as it. And I've also just noticed in my notes that Zeus was also in the Human Centipede 3. Of course he was. <laughs> I get oh, that. yeah, I remember. I remember that. I remember that one, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what I loved about this one, Tony Schiavone commentating WWF. It's yeah. wild. Because his voice is so synonymous with the NWO and WCW and Sting and all that stuff. Do you know what I mean? Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell and all that stuff. Hearing them... 
like in the Hulkamania era. It's just it's just wild to hear. I don't know hearing him say WWF. I just think mm. it's funny. And now, obviously, with this podcast and stuff I've mentioned before, I'm such a big fan. It's just funny to hear him before he even hit his prime, really commentary wise. Um, still a young man doing it and still kind of figuring it out and trying to find that opportunity to get like his big break, which later would come in, in the early 90s for WCW. But, mm. um, you know, you could synonymize his name with WCW and he's in WWE here, like the enemy, you know, with Hogan and Savage and Zeus, you know. So that was really cool to hear him. And uh, I just think it's bonkers that you think about Savage, who was notorious for like um, wanting to script out everything and literally move for move he would write down, you know, I can just imagine him sitting down with Zeus and Zeus probably appreciating a script because he's an actor, you know what yeah. I mean? Whereas Hogan or whoever else he'd be working with or even DiBiase and Andre from the year before, they may be like, oh, Randy, gonna, gonna just leave me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, Zeus is probably like, oh yes, give me as much information as possible. And Savage is the perfect partner for him, you know? Yeah. It's, um, I like much like 88 I just really enjoyed it for that the only other thing I want to stress that I loved about this match is that and this is a testament to how over characters were in WWF at this time and it's something we've not really seen much of since to that degree because even in the Attitude Era characters were over but fans still expected a certain degree of physical spectacle and the the point I'm making could be illustrated by this example in this match in the kind of last five minutes of it Bruce Beefcake locks Savage or is it Savage? Let me see. I'm trying to check my notes. Yeah, yeah. He locks Savage in his signature move, which is a sleeper. And the fans go mental. They go so... I have never seen a pop for a sleeper like that yeah. in my life. <laughs> yeah. You know, a when sleeper. a sleeper comes in nowadays, that's your fan's moment to kind of sit down and maybe check your phone or go and, and get bring a drink. Beach balls. Yeah, this is it. Like, And the fans go crazy. And... They're not. They're not chanting. You know, they're not responding to the actual like the physicality of the move. They're chanting to the the narrative that that move now denotes, which is that this is his signature. That's what he's known for. This is on par of Hogan's leg drop and Savage's elbow. He's going to do a sleeper, and they love that v- visual cue. And you just don't get that that simplistic kind of pantomime anymore. Really. Yeah. Speaking you know, of pantomime, I liked when they were trying to knock Zeus off his feet. You see that bit yeah. where he was kind of like staggering and he's yeah. down the one. They were going mental. I couldn't believe it. And this is the thing. People can point the finger and laugh at this stuff from today's perspective and they can mock wrestling for its silliness and be snobby about it. But the fact is, people paid money and left home satisfied because of that. That whole routine was just slowly going to his feet. People got so much joy out of it because you can hear it. They weren't tampering with the audience like sound at that time in the WWF. Yeah. And those people went home happy. So, you know what? You can point the finger and say it's stupid or it's daft, but that made Vince McMahon a lot of money, that that entire show, that entire routine. You know what was good about this whole thing, watching these Summer Slams? It's seeing, like, the evolution of the business, you know? You probably saw it with the WrestleMania watch along the way. I've done things like this before. But just in terms of, like, I just all of a sudden was like, oh, my God, like, the business has changed drastically over a matter of years. You know I mean? It looks so different just by a couple of years, which is crazy to see. And even just by the next one, August 27th, 1990, which was Summer, the third SummerSlam, and now Hogan is nowhere to be seen in the main event. I believe he wrestles Earthquake earlier on the show. Does, yeah. um, but in the main event is the Ultimate Warrior defending his newly won WWF title against Ravishing Rick Rude in a steel cage mm. match. Now, you've talked about your your um, your love for the Warrior when you were younger. How, yeah. um, you know, that was one of the main things that kind of made you a fan and kind of made... Made you take note, you know, of wrestling and stuck out to you. 
when I see the Warrior, I, I honestly, I roll my eyes. I'm not bothered about him. I'm like, oh, really? I'm not a fan. Um, just because it just never was for me. I, I, I was well, you know, I, I didn't get into the wrestling when he was at his prime at all. It was always a thing I had to look back on. I've yeah. heard the horror stories about him and that sort of thing. But yeah. I'll tell you something. This match and this cage match was so much fun. It was like just Rude being, first of all, Rick Rude's amazing in this yeah, match. He's the MVP of this match, as over as Warrior is, and as much as he maybe sold the tickets for this. And by the way, correction, the main event of the SummerSlam is actually the wedding. Can I just stress? Um, is, that not, is that a 91? Oh, sorry. Am I, am I missing? Yeah, that's 91. My bad. Yeah, sorry. sorry. No, I, know, I know what you mean. I noted yeah. that down as well. I noted that down as well. Because yeah. I was thinking that it technically is what sold the tickets, because I was on like, the cover of the VHS and stuff, the yeah. wedding at 91. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. Like, Warrior's over, but like, a great heel is only as good as the bad guy that can make him look good. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, uh, Rick Rude is excellent. And I genuinely didn't realize that this had main evented this match. I just assumed it was kind of like when Punk was champion, but Cena would always headline the pay per views. Yep. I thought it would be like that. Or when Benoit was champion, it's the same thing with Triple H more often than not. Um, like, I just assumed that I was going to sit down and watch Hogan and Earthquake. So when I saw it was Savage and Warrior, it was actually really pleasantly surprised because the first few years in the history of SummerSlam, you don't get a lot of WWF title matches in the main event. Yeah. That's the, that's the truth of the matter. Um, but I like so that, though. I like how it's yeah. like the title has to go on last, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think Hulk Hogan could easily have politicked his way into the main event in this match but what what i enjoyed about this is you know to your point whether you're a warrior fan or not and and let me just be clear like the man behind the ultimate warrior i like i don't like to be negative in the show but i I don't like to speak ill of the dead but i I don't hold them in high estimation at all for obvious reasons that are only a google search away i think but the character was a big deal and i love the character oh yeah and uh i feel like it's uh everything just works it's a short match as it, as it needs to be um and i uh as much as i love rude in this and his ridiculous tights in this match i want yeah. to just um give some kudos to bobby heenan when, oh, he's, yeah. when he gets punched by warrior in this match he flips like you know that way yeah. Rikishi used to flip when he got close yeah, yeah, yeah. like, how could a man do that like i never thought bobby heenan was capable of moving in that way but he bobby totally read the momentum of the whole thing Heenan hated Warrior. He said that a lot. Like he just really? hated him. He was like, "You're just you're gonna hurt me all the time. Don't hurt me." It's a bit like Punk with Ryback. Um, and then, but then as soon as Warrior punches him, he sells so well for him. It's ridiculous. So that's why I think Bobby Heenan. Um, it's got to be up there with our good friend Paul Heyman as best managers of all time. Um, that was cool to see a different match that's not Hogan. But then you go to '91, which is back in Madison Square Garden, and the main event match is Hogan and Warrior versus Sergeant Slaughter, Colonel Mustafa, which was just Iron Sheik, I don't know why they yep. changed his name, and General Adnan. Uh, so yeah, when I watch these things, I'm like, I don't even remember this being a thing. You know what I mean? Of course, I obviously don't remember it because I wasn't alive, but I just mean that you, you hear about these, you hear about Sergeant Slaughter and the Iron Sheik, but I, I was like, Colonel who? You know. <laughs> yeah, so Colonel Adnan was uh, one of the first kind of Iranian wrestlers to make it big in the US. And he actually was in school with Saddam Hussein. He was in the same class as Saddam Hussein. Okay. Um, and that's kind of tapped into the character because this was happening uh, whilst the Gulf yeah, War was happening in America. Right. And this this is the kind of thing, like it's kind of an old carny tradition in wrestling to tap into patriotism and um, xenophobic anxieties of foreigners. And 
I'm not. It's kind of something that's always happened in wrestling. You saw it happen in like in that Glow Netflix series where you know one of them plays the Russian and mm-hmm. you know during the Cold War, and the other plays the American. But I'm not hugely into this sort of thing because I feel like it's kind of channeling into something quite easy. It's like channeling into contemporary anxieties about people from other cultures. And they like still two do co- it. They still do it. Yeah, people look at Rusev. I mean, people could Rusev. still. People, you know, you can you can be at war a country, but that doesn't mean everyone in that country should be feared and, you know, despised, yeah. you know? And that's why I watched this kind of accepting that it was all of its time, but then, to your point, this still happens. And I didn't enjoy it because you've got um, General Adnan, and I, I wonder if he would ever have been given a prominent role in the WWF had, had the Gulf War not been happening. And that's not to take away from his talent, but I feel like the WWF were kind of, racially profiling at the time that's why they changed the iron sheik to colonel mustafa and they turned the sergeant slaughter into uh an iraqi sympathizer at the time of the the first gulf war so yeah i mean like a lot of the stuff I like about the other tag matches is there the fans are going gaga for it and you know it was cool to see i, I didn't I had no idea that sid ref read this match oh yeah that was um, random wasn't it? Yeah. That, that 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 really kind of surprised me but this whole idea of foreign equals villain is never it's been something about yeah. wrestling i've kind of always been a bit embarrassed about uh, and i kind of hope like we never see that in aew for example you know, it's probably <laughs> gonna happen that. again in wwe but i'd like to yeah. we don't we don't see it again but um yeah, what I was going to say. Yeah, like that, that famous story about WrestleMania 7, how it was supposed to be in the sports coliseum and it was supposed to be 100,000 fans. But then because of the, the character, Sergeant Slaughter, you know, and, and people were sending him death threats and stuff and threatening his wife and all that stuff, they had to move it to an indoor venue because they were scared they were going to bomb the stadium. Like, that's how you feel that. it was. I don't believe that for a second, though. I'm sure the threat was there, oh, but totally. I think they just I just think they, they didn't sell no tickets. That, that, that's the story they tell, though, isn't it? Like, yeah, that's, absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah that's, we that's were, were going to die, you know what I mean? Um but even so, you can believe that that was possible. You know, it could be possible because of the way that they would do it. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, th- that that was the main event match. But the main event of the show was the wedding, and I just love how it's a wedding that goes well. <laughs> you know I mean, the only one, to my knowledge. I love how it was the main event of pay-per-view, and no one leaves the whole Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena. Twenty thousand fans. And people are just taking pictures and crying and throwing flowers at them. Think how over that was. Think about the moment that Savage and and, and Elizabeth reunite at WrestleMania. Yeah, when he great. finally embraces her and there's people crying. Now, like through today's lens, that is extremely problematic because he was an abusive husband. The character. Sure. I'm not talking about Randy Savage, the man, can it be clear? Yeah. The character was a bad dude. And she just takes him back like the damsel in distress. Um, but like the fans loved it. And fans cried for it. And if you can elicit that reaction at a wrestling show, then you've done your job. You've given them their money's worth. Isn't it funny how over Elizabeth is? Like how much she is absolutely loved. Yeah. You know what I mean? The true first lady of wrestling for so long. She doesn't do anything in particular. So China was so over, right? China, everyone loved China when she was in DX and that sort of thing. But she was like always in the matches, getting involved, interfered, getting chucked out, all this stuff. But then Elizabeth doesn't do anything. She just stands there, and, and you know she's beautiful and stuff. But like she's just so it's like a it's like a pop culture thing. Like there's Elizabeth. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. I just it's fascinating to see that. How you know things change? You know, I don't know if you would see that kind of reaction to a wedding angle now. I don't think people would be that in, as invested because audiences have changed. And, and speaking of changes, how different does the WWF look the following year? 
Oh, it's mental. A total new genre, isn't it? It's a total new era. It's ridiculous. It's a new generation, would you say? New generation. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> I love, I love that song and I love how it then became Linda McMahon's theme. <laughs> still is as well. If she ever comes out again, that's her theme song. I love yeah, it. Yeah. The, the, what bothers me is that when she ran for Senate, that she didn't walk into her campaign rallies with that music. Why didn't she do that? I like it. I wasn't, I was like, the new generation was a little bit before my time, but when I first got into wrestling and I was trying to find all this, you know, footage and stuff, like that just happened, the new generation. So it was still very fresh. Like my cousin Graham had all the videos and stuff. So when I when I hear that song, it's really nostalgic. It's like that time I was really, really young, you know? I just, there's something yeah. about that song that really brings it back. But yeah, Wembley Stadium, it was actually taped a couple of days earlier, but it aired on August 31st, 1992. Couldn't do that now. Could do that now, I suppose, yeah. And uh, the main event is the British Bulldog versus Brett the Hitman Hart for, wait for it, the Intercontinental Championship. Bravo. Um, talk about knowing your audience. And, dude, like, this is one of the most famous matches of all time, which I had never watched. I had no really? idea that Lennox Lewis was with bu- the Bulldog down, you know? Yeah. I had no idea that Lennox Lewis was there. He looks so young, it's unreal. Um, But I absolutely... Love this match because all I'd ever really seen of it was the the famous kind of finish with the schoolboy yeah. and the the pin, uh, often imitated and never replicated. Um, and here's a the interesting thing about um, uh, SummerSlam 1992, the WWF, as you know, to this day, often fabricates and or is quite generous when they talk about their attendance records. So they will have yep. well, they will have you know that up until WrestleMania 32, the most highly attended show they ever did was WrestleMania 3, 93,000, etc. But in reality, the highest attended show they'd ever done up until WrestleMania 32 was SummerSlam 1992. There were more people there than there were at WrestleMania 3. And so what what a great um you know testament to how over the WWF was at that time in the UK, and as much as they still UK, are, yeah. the UK wrestling scene is huge. But like, I don't know how easily they'd pack up Wembley Stadium now. Like, ignoring pandemic, I mean, assuming that's not a factor, I don't think. I think they could do a big show, but unless they brought WrestleMania here, I don't think they could necessarily fill up even for SummerSlam. I, I don't think, think SummerSlam is important enough anymore. I could probably see SummerSlam. They definitely couldn't do it for Raw, but like, they, but I could maybe see SummerSlam if it was like this big thing. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're making this big event for the whole country and the whole of the UK. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe. But um, I could see it maybe happening again. But then you can see, you can look at that audience and you can see, okay, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people there, 80,000 or whatever it is. But then you look at the year after, 93, and they had to do the show in Auburn Hills, Michigan. You ever heard of Auburn Hills? <laughs> I'm not until um, I watched this about a few days ago. <laughs> the business takes a massive dip and yes it's because of you know Hogan isn't in his prime anymore and yes other things are more interesting than WBF and yes of course the steroid trail was a big thing um, and I mean a, a big argument for the reason that Bulldog and Brett are in the main event and Hogan's not uh, uh, WrestleMania uh, sorry SummerSlam 92 is of course the steroid thing yeah. Um, they wanted to push Brett and stuff, even though Bill Talk, who wasn't the wasn't the shouldn't really post the point for not yeah, being no. on Detroit. But, <laughs> but still, as they were kind of going for a youthful thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you get to WrestleMania, uh, I keep saying WrestleMania, SummerSlam '93, and uh, they've totally taken a dip. They've totally changed their mindset. It's no longer about muscly guys. So who's in the main event? Lex Luger. Um, and. <laughs> 
This was the first time I've ever watched the Lex Luger match, Chris. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, I knew about the Lex Express. I knew about the whole experiment of trying to make him. You know, it's funny how even down to the alliteration and the syllables, they they, they try to match Hulk Hogan. You know, this Americana, da, 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 Hulk Hogan, Lex Luger kind of character. I had no idea that that was his music, so that blew my mind. And <laughs> so <laughs> this match went on about you know it should have this match should have lasted about two minutes at best, um, and it didn't. Uh, <laughs> it Yokozuna, went... By the way, is the champion. He wrestles Yokozuna. Big respect to Yoko. I, I'm a listen. I'm a Yokozuna fan. The, the guy who played Yokozuna. Uh, gone too soon and he was he was a good monster heel um but so much about this match just put me to sleep like but the thing is it put me to sleep but the fans still love it lex is over people 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 do really throw shade on it and i can i can see why but the fans loved lex but what baffles me is the celebration afterwards he hasn't (laughs) won the title but here come the balloons they've clearly paid for the balloons and confetti but they've changed the decision at the last minute to do a count out so that Yokozuna has the title, but they still go for the full on. It's like when Kurt Angle beat Austin at Unforgiven 2001. It's mental. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't know. <laughs> they were trying so hard to get Lex to be this new guy, right? And if they just put the title on him here, yeah. it would have happened because the fans are there. And they had this Lex Express thing. Have you ever seen that whole video? about how it's like um, Lex is on the bus and he's traveling the US and he's signing babies and shaking hands of mothers and fathers. Signing and babies? <laughs> Can you sign he's my walking. baby? Who's going about signing Wayne's? Kissing babies, maybe. Total package, mate. The total package. He's going about and like the video is all about him being so patriotic and the end of it is that like, he's eating catering or something and Vince comes up to him and puts his arms around him, gives him a hug from behind and Vince is like, hey, big boy, you excited for SummerSlam? And that was like a like a meme for years that Vince has finally found his golden boy. Um, <laughs> but then for some reason, he just doesn't win the title. And then after this, you can see his career just go down and down and down. And his popularity is just like, no, you actually are rubbish. Give us more Bret Hart. And it's just, it's just such a disaster. I feel so bad for him because he's obviously there. The fans love him. This could have been it. They, they bought the confetti. They bought the balloons. The music's there. They bought this bus. <laughs> They should have just done it. It's ridiculous that they changed the thing last minute. And I love the celebration. I love how mentally he goes when he realizes that he's won by count out. The Steiner brothers came out and put him on his shoulders and stuff. I think it's brilliant. It's um, I'm not a big Lex Luger fan. However, I will say, in recent years, I became more of a Luger fan because I, I talked about, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but I talked about one of my favorite video podcasts that I watch on YouTube called OSW Review. Yeah. They have the boy stables. Remember, we talked about it. That was your homework, by the way, to come up with a boy stable, but I'll let you away with it this week. Thanks. Um, <laughs> you've been away and uh, one of the hosts on that show is a massive Lex Luger fan and the other guy's like why he's not that good and he goes no the reason I like Lex Luger is because of his selling and it's become a thing in WWE or not WWE it's just wrestling in general it's called Lugering and basically what happens when you punch someone when you do a move when you get chopped when you get punched when you get forearmed you just have to go <laughs> and you have to make this sort of grunt so if you watch any single Lex Luger match any time that he chops someone and he slams someone, forearm, elbow, he's just going, rouse, rouse, ah, and just screaming and grunting. <laughs> when he does it, when he gets it done to him, it just makes all this noise. Honestly, any Luger match, WCW, WWF, you know, Yoko could have did like the sort of chop thing to the throat. 
Luger just screams this big grunt and it just became this thing called Lugering. And watch it now, man. It, you can't watch a Luger match any other way because you can't notice it. You can't not notice it anymore, you know? Brilliant. So anytime I watch a Luger match, I'm like, yes, let's see, let's see what the selling's going to be like this one. So that was okay. I didn't mind that match because of that. It's not it's not a great match, but the fans are into it, which is not what I can say about 1994. You've got it's this- a bit of a it's yeah. a. It is probably my least favorite thing that I watched throughout this entire run. No, the cool. the concept is cool. The poster was cool. The idea was cool. I've never watched Undertaker versus Undertaker, aka Chains, but I have. <laughs> this is the first time I watched it, so I kind of thought, you know, Undertaker in the nineties, he can go. He's he's like, there's no question that he can have a he can have a good match at this point. Didn't really. I wasn't a huge fan of chains, but like I liked the idea behind it. I knew the story going into it that Undertaker had been gone for a while, and Teddy Biase had brought in this imposter, and then Paul Bear was going to bring back the Undertaker, and they let it breathe and they built it up. And I think because Undertaker had missed WrestleMania ten, like that, you know, that was a big, that was one of the few WrestleManias in his entire career that he'd ever missed. Um, and oh my god, this match is so dull. And I think part of the problem is that the WWF Championship match at the show, and this will be a future match of the week, by the way, so I'll talk more about it later, is Brett versus Owen in the cage for the WWF title. And that is a five-star classic. You know, I, I, I will fight anybody, verbally, who wants to challenge me on that. And if you've seen, they're basically in the same situation that Triple H and Orton were in at WrestleMania 25. There's no way that they could follow such a great match that came before them, which is ironic because The Undertaker is in the main event of this one. Yeah. Um, for me, with Undertaker versus Undertaker, like two things were positives for me. First of all, I, I found it hilarious that Vince McMahon acknowledges how deadly silent the crowd has got out of boredom, and he says they're stunned into silence. Yeah. No, they're yeah. bored, Vince. They are bored at this boring match. They've got the, the highlight was the entrances. The fans pop for the entrances, and then they pop for the finish, and that's that's pretty much it. I don't know about the entrances though, because they play the theme song three times all the way through because it's yeah. fake under song then they bring out the casket and then it's undertaker it yeah, goes on the entrances are longer than the match um the best part not, sorry i was just gonna, it's not it's not foreign to an undertaker match you know what i mean he's always got a long entrance and this is it but the, the best part about this whole debacle this whole taker versus taker thing is something which you don't even get much of a clue of if you just watch the match but in the build-up to this and on the pay-per-view leslie nielsen, leslie nielsen absolutely naked gun and airplane fame has been part of this whole angle where he, I think he was promoting one of the, the Naked Gun films, but he was there kind of basically being this the stereotypical Leslie Nielsen airplane kind of uh, Naked Gun character, uh, was investigating where the Undertaker had got to. And that is the one re- bizarre, weird, but redeemable things about this is that the payoff for this angle was rubbish, but at least he been was part of it. Should have been Tim Should have been, man. What an opportunity. Then we move to SummerSlam number eight in 1995. And mm. it is, we're now in a new generation. We're trying to find a new star. Brett is obviously a big star, but clearly not in the eyes of Vince, really, to kind of make him the guy. So what do we do? We look for another big guy, and his name is Diesel. Diesel, as I keep saying. Diesel! And uh, this is this is back when, when you won the King of the Ring, you got a title match. Owen won the King of the Ring in 94. He got his title match at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. And in '95, it was Viscera, aka King Mabel, six hundred pound Mabel, not the singer today in the charts, <laughs> versus Diesel for the title at SummerSlam. And this is probably my least favorite one I watched this week. 
yeah, to be honest, it is a toss-up between Taker and Taker. This, at least it's short and sweet. Well, short, yeah. I wouldn't say sweet. It's quick. They, they kind of kind of boot themselves into a corner with Mabel because, you know, like the month before, they'd, they'd given him King of the Ring. So they kind of had to do something with him. Um, but I wonder if they kind of knew. Well, they must have known by this point he wasn't going to be a star because Diesel wins. And you know what? I was so bored that I actually don't know how this match finished because I was looking at my phone. You know, I, think the, the, I think I'm the exact same. I think someone came in, like my dad came home from work or something. I went and just left the room, went and spoke to him. So yeah, not a big it, fan of that one. But that one it, also had Sean versus Razor ladder match two on that course. show. Always forget about. It's just one of those ones where they're in that awkward transition. They're ba- this is basically the WWF's teenage years, you know, before yeah. they kind of find out who they are as a as an adult. Um and even and and, and to, you know, to that point, the following year, nineteen ninety six vader and Shawn michaels is a much better match, yeah, not bad match at all. i really enjoyed it and like vader's best work was never in the wwf like i would point to his wcw stuff with yeah, mike, uh, foley. mike foley for sure you know like that those that's the kind of when i think of vader i enjoy that but this was a great match because you've got two really good wrestlers in this match and vader's moonsault always blows my mind every time i see it um obviously this is post Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12. And, you know, the fans are really kind of, the fans are into this. And Sean is really, really over. I wasn't mad about the kind of two finishes and then. Yeah, I wasn't a fan at all. Yeah. But, you know, I kind of liked it. I kind of got, like, but I like the finishing sequence with Vader missing his moonsault and then Sean. When have you ever seen a match end with a moonsault? You know, the, the, this, point. apart yeah. from this match, this is something that stuck out in my mind. Sean Michaels as a bit of a dafty, shall we say, isn't it? Yeah. When he wasn't the biggest, wasn't the biggest, or no one was his biggest fan, I should say, backstage behind the scenes. And this is this famous spot where he goes to elbow drop Vader, and Vader doesn't move out of the way, mm. and and Sean just stops and just starts screaming at him, just starts going move, move, and just kicks him right in the face. What an he, absolute brat! He was a total brat. You know what? Even though I was five years old when this match happened, I should have just gone over there and knocked his hat off his head then. And that would have humbled Shawn Michaels, I'm sure. He kicks him so hard in the face when he doesn't move. Like, I can't believe Vader didn't kill him. Vader could have ripped him in half. I know. But you know, in Wrestling With Shadows, Brett says that Vader is, you know, he was a really sensitive, you know, kind of compassionate kind of guy. He probably, he was probably mature enough based on Brett's assessment of him as a person to rise above it, rise above a bully. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're absolutely right. He could have torn him limb from limb. I love the spot where Sean jumps over the top rope in this match. That always reminds me because remember in like 2002 when they're building up to the Sean and Triple H match? Mm. Um, the video package of how good Sean is because it's his first match back. And there's that clip where GR says, no one has ever outperformed Sean Michaels in the main event matchup. And there's all these clips of Michaels doing moonsaults and stuff. And that clip's always in there of him jumping over the top rope and landing on Vader. Yeah. I love that one. So moving on to 97, we are now in a very, I think this is a very strange time in WWE because yes, they're really picking up steam, but it's right before the takeoff. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, SummerSlam 97 is a very interesting show and I've always looked at it as a very interesting show. It's never one that I'm like, oh, brilliant show. But when you watch it, there's lots of good moments, um, but it's still like, it's, it's really strange. It's like a real hybrid between New Generation and Attitude Era, you know? But I mm. do love this main event. It's a real, like, it feels like a main event. It looks like a main event. Yeah, um, I sound like Louis Walsh, um, and uh, it just feels like Brett, Brett and Taker. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it looks like a main event. It feels like a main event. You are an absolute superstar. <laughs> Jesus, 
Sean Michaels is a special guest referee and I absolutely love this finish to the point where we recreated the finish in CWA, my backyard wrestling company, where I was Jeff Element's best pal and Jeff mm-hmm. Element spat on me because yep. I because I, I messed up the three count and I went to help with the steel chair. Jeff Element duck, ducked and I hit the million dollar boy in the head with the steel chair. Yeah. God, what a finish. I love it. What do you think of this I- one? I love it. I tell you what, though, the history of SummerSlam and guest referees has Ooh, kind of exposed something to me in that guest referees are always fun, but they're never they never get the the counting right. It's always too spaced out, or they they can't get into position, and it makes me appreciate just how difficult a job it is to be a pro wrestling referee. Like that's an art in itself to be the most important person in the ring, but also be invisible. You know what I mean? Like, and to get it all right and to be, to give it credibility, even when it's totally wacky. But Shawn Michaels is one of the very few SummerSlam guest referees who kind of gets the kind of rhythm right, I think, of the count. And he also plays his part really, really well. I love this match. It's so fun. It's like, it's like you say, you can tell it's like the, the business is about to explode again. But um, the, the, those characters are so over and... Uh, I think even though Brett was 40 at this point, I really yeah. think he was in his prime, like in his late 30s, early 40s, like basically up until WCW. I think that was, I think like from 94 to 97 was, was Brett's prime. And, yeah. um, and so I think uh, like this match is excellent. Brett and Taker work so well together and Sean really plays his part extremely well this was another match which i'd never fully watched i'd seen so many clips of again i knew the finish i played through the whole thing in wwe 13 but um i really enjoyed finally getting to sit and watch it it's it's absolutely fantastic um, something about getting suplex off the top rope i find fascinating mm-hmm. um, i don't know what i do you know also okay <laughs> uh the couple of things i want to highlight is that I love Undertaker's wee tear that he's got painted on his face. Yeah. You know what that means? Uh, That's because he's killed someone. Oh, well, speaking of killed somebody, Bearer shows up during this match, Paul Bearer, and right. this is SummerSlam 1997, folks, and they're already teasing Kane, who doesn't, who, he still shows up like the two months later, I think, but the, the payoff to that doesn't happen until the following WrestleMania. So, yeah. You know, even though Kane would eventually show up uh, in October at Bad Blood, like the match Undertaker versus Kane didn't happen until March of 1998. Think you'd never see that kind of patience anymore in the WWE. Very rarely. Top three three best stories ever told. I think so, yeah. So it was nice to see that kind of, even though the the prevailing story was, you know, um, how well, 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 Brett have to. In never wrestle in the US anymore and will he win the title and will Sean be an impartial referee they still managed to fit that in and just tease that enough he shows up but by the time he's gone and by the time the finish of the match has happened nobody's really thinking about Paul Bearer anymore Yeah, but so and there's just planting we seeds you know one of the very early swerves I've ever done because back in the 90s having all these title changes in the one year was pretty unheard of especially when the same guy wins the title twice in one year Mm-hmm. So Brett won it back in February, um, at the final four, I believe, or maybe on an episode of Raw. No, it was, it was the final four, and then Sid beats him on yeah. Raw, then Taker beats him at WrestleMania. Um, just the fact that no, no one—I mean, I, I guess people weren't expecting Brett to never wrestle in America again, but people are thinking there's no way Brett's going to win the title again. No. You know what I mean? Um, but just the way it's done, it's just perfect, and it leads obviously because Michaels is screwed. Taker—they lead up to their Hell in a Cell and stuff. Very well done match. Very well put together show. Also the show that Stone Cold Steve Austin gets dropped in his head by Owen Hart. Of course, yeah. And 
and, and cuts his career ultimately short. So who knows what would have happened? Would you know Austin be wrestling Benoit for the world title? Would he be wrestling Eddie for the world title if that didn't happen in '97? Who knows? You know. Yeah, I kind of wonder about that. I I do wonder if like Austin would have you know retired at some point in the noughties, but then would still be doing the occasional match like Triple H or like you know yeah. is it is it in not you know if Triple H can still be doing it, maybe Austin could still be doing the occasional match today. Well, Austin said a bunch of times on his podcast that he probably would have went another couple of years, like full time on the road schedule, because he loved it so much. Mm-hmm. So it's like, like, what would that have looked like? Because WWE looks much different in two thousand and five than it did in two thousand and one. You know what I mean? So very interesting. Um, then we move on to one of my favorite pay per views of all time. Um, not necessarily because of the action. I've talked about it on the show before, yes. just because of the buzz of this show. Yeah. And it's SummerSlam '98 from Madison Square Garden, the double main event essentially. Triple H and The Rock for the for the Intercontinental title and the ladder match. But on top, you have Austin versus Undertaker for the WWF title, Madison Square Garden. God, the buzz is ridiculous and the energy and the feel is unbelievable in this arena. What did you think watching this one? Man, I, I love this. Everything from, like, I, we've talked about how much we love the aesthetic of Madison Square Garden quite a lot in this podcast. Go back a few episodes ago, folks, and listen to Chris's story about visiting Madison Square Garden. It's, it's lovely to hear and like those shows always just feel different because MSG always just looks a bit different in these older shows. Um, I love the the setup. I love the the glass shattering for Austin's Taker. Oh yeah. And the other thing is as well, like this, like obviously Austin and Taker had wrestled before this, but this was the first time they'd met wrestled on pay per view as both being main event stars. This yeah. was proper dream match stuff by this point because. They were, the, you know, from for a lot of 1998, they were the two biggest faces in the company. So it, it seemed natural that they would inevitably collide at one of the big pay-per-views. I love The Undertaker's Ministry theme tune, which he comes out to in this. And I love the fact that when Kane eventually interferes, because of the lighting on those doors at MSG, it's so sinister and it's like a horror yeah. story. The way his silhouette, you just see him coming out of nowhere. It's almost, it's kind of like a jump scare. It's like, oh, there's Kane in the background. Like, you know, in horror movies where you see the spooky thing in the background and you're telling your pal before everyone else in the theater notices it. Happens, yeah. Um, it's a physical match. It's a brutal match. Taker's bump in the table when he jumps and kind of does that leg oh drop is God. absolutely brutal. But yeah, this is this is spot. Th- th- those two guys. Like Taker can be a lot of different things in wrestling matches in his prime. But at this point, Austin was really more of just of a kind of a brawler and a brutal kind of guy because of his neck injury, as we just spoke about. But the 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 best their best chemistry was when they were super physical, and I they they wrestled a bunch and they had a bunch of pay per view matches. I don't think they ever had a better pay per view match than this one. This is uh, the moment where Austin gets knocked out. You know that story where he he, he yeah. kind of ducks down for the backdrop and gets hit in the head, and he says to Hebner, he goes, "Where am I?" And Eric Hebner says, "You're in the garden, boy." Would you not just say, "Steve, are you all right?" Do you know what I mean? Hey, uh, Steve. But <laughs> Steve, you with me? So. Uh, yeah, incredible. I just love the buzz. I love the energy. It's, again, it's a bit before my time as well, but just now watching it back, you're just like, oh my God, imagine being there. The buzz of seeing Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin, the two biggest stars. You know, and this is before The Rock, you know, so because you can see in this ladder match between The Rock and Triple H how popular The Rock's becoming. It's yeah. like this and volcano. It's about to erupt. It's, it's just a mental time. The following year, though, again, it looks so much different. It's only yeah. one year, but it's so different. Um, August 22nd, 99, Mankind Stone Cold Triple H with Jesse the Body Ventura, who is the governor of Minnesota, where the pay-per-view is. 
Something which they never actually acknowledge on air, by the way. No, but then I love how Ventura gets the the mic and he says, I'm proud to be a wrestler. I've always been a wrestler. Like he's saying, please don't do me. This is the thing. Uh, that's, the, that's the thing when you, you you play with politics. But yeah, I I, I enjoyed this match. You know, a lot yeah, of people a lot of people talk about you talk about this and how Austin apparently didn't want to put over Triple H. Obviously, we can never know if that's true or not. But I think it's probably more likely that Ventura didn't want to award the title to heel. And um, Mike Foley went okay. into this match, and pretty much everybody assumed that the only reason it was a triple threat was so that Triple H could pin Foley and that and he would eat pinfall. That, you see that happening. It was like when Kane, Strowman, and Lesnar had that Royal Rumble triple threat match. Yeah. Um, it's the same principle. But instead, I think what happened was Ventura in his own state, where politics is huge, I think he just wanted to give the title to the babyface, and there was no question of Austin keeping the belt at that point, because I think, was he not injured going into this? Well, he gets run over at Survivor Series later, yeah, yeah, so. that's right. So... Um, it's kind of clear that he needs to have a bit of pressure relieved from him at this point. But it was a fun match. It's you know, it's a it's a good triple threat match, and the thing that sells it the most for me is is the energy of the crowd. I did it for the Rock. I love the bit where um where Austin gets tied up in the ropes. You know that bit where he gets like yeah. caught up in his feet and he's just going Jesse, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> Triple H needs to help him. Uh, I, these ones I haven't watched as much. I watched them when I was younger, but because I've been on this, I actually did a watch through. Um, I haven't touched, you know, 99, 2000 yet. So watching them, I was like, God, I'm looking forward to getting there in my watch along, you know. Um, yeah. I've not seen this match in years. I had the VHS when I was younger of SummerSlam 99, but I didn't watch over, like that much. I remember the tag team turmoil match. I remember the Rock and Billy Gunn when they're trying to push Billy Gunn. Um, but the, but this match, this main event, I had no real memory of, other than other than that Austin didn't want to lose to Triple H, which I don't really believe. But there you go. I don't I don't buy. It. I think it was more of a venture call. I mean, like oh, Triple H won the title the next night as well. And the thing is, he won it in really clean, convincing fashion. So well, not not clean, but he won it, you know, profoundly. And I just I think if Vince McMahon had wanted Austin to lose to Triple H that night, he would have done. But the thing is, they had Ventura there. There was probably a lot of voices going about. So it made sense to kind of have Foley as the transitional 24-hour well, champion for this one. They could, 24-7 champion. They could have made them, um, they could have put Billy Gunn in this match and Austin might not have gone, I don't want to lose to Billy Gunn. But Triple H, yeah. come on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, also, Triple H's wee chain vest thing, I'd forgotten all about right. that. Wow, <laughs> well, what? them, that looked good. <laughs> I'm glad it was short-lived, but it was. it made me giggle when I saw it again. Triple H is meant to be so cool, you know what I mean? And he just comes out with this wee chain thing, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, SummerSlam 2000, one of your favourite pay-per-views ever, I believe. Yeah, there's not much else that we can say about this. The, the pay-per-view as a whole is a masterpiece of wrestling. It's got that WrestleMania 17 vibe of there being something for everyone on the show. There's, It's a really enjoyable show to sit and watch from, from top to bottom, so I'd recommend anyone listening to this do that. The main event is, you know, there's it's... That triple threat from Triple H, Kurt, and The Rock, and there's so much that you can say about it. Kurt Angle is legitimately concussed, like in the opening segment before The Rock even enters the match. There's such a delay so, for The Rock the entering. I don't want to come off as being morbid or anything here, right? But there's there's something I love. <laughs> love is the wrong word. Something I find fascinating about seeing these injuries happen and how they deal with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, obviously, I don't like to see someone being hurt, obviously, and especially someone like Kurt Angle or, or Austin at Summer, at SummerSlam 97 or whatever, but just like the way they deal with it, the way they react. And you see when Triple H pedigrees him through the table, Triple H 
doesn't stand up for like 20 seconds because he's like, he's checking on Kurt and he's seeing, he knows he's out of it immediately. Yeah. And he's down and he's writing his face stuff and just that stuff. I was, what, I, I rewound it a bunch of times because I was like, it's so fascinating seeing how they, like, he's like communicating with Errol Hebner, telling him that he's hurt and stuff like that. Yeah. That's, that's like the behind the scenes of wrestling that I love. And do you know, did you notice the quote that GR says in this? Uh, what, heel for a heel? No, he goes, well, no. He goes, um, he ain't got a damn clue where he is. Which was in the uh, which was in the the silver vision. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly. Time, who Ab- he is. Absolutely. <laughs> like, um, I have uh, read Kurt Angle's autobiography. It's true. It's true. When I was a, a boy, and I uh, he spoke about this match in it. And one of the things he wrote about when he talked about this match was that later on in the match where Kurt's on the stretcher and he's talking to Stephanie and he's like, "I'll do it for you, anything for you," because they're doing this whole love triangle angle. Um. That was done live, so Kurt was out of it, and apparently they, they were they were panicking backstage because they had to put that that promo live for his return to make sense and also serve the the love triangle storyline. Um, yeah. And it took them ages to get him to just say those words. I'll do it for you, Steph. Anything for you, or it's to that effect. Um, yeah. And then, so he's he's like that would never happen now. If somebody was concussed, the match would be stopped like that, even if yeah. it was the WrestleMania main event. Um, but then uh, the other funny thing is if you ever had the video slash DVD that came out in 2002, Triple H, the game with the kind of white cover of uh, Triple I did, H. No. I did. And, and there's a, a great, that's another kind of documentary piece about him going through his quad injury and then coming back in 2002. And he, but he does talk about that match at SummerSlam 2000. And so at this point, Triple H and The Rock are having a singles match because Kurt's been taken backstage and he's gone for much longer than they planned out. But because of Kurt's legit injury, he's backstage yeah. and they're trying to get this promo together. And Errol's getting all the stuff in his headpiece about how to move the match from Vince. And Triple H and The Rock are ignoring it. And at one point, and you can see it in this match, if you know where to look, Triple H turns around and I'm going to censor myself here, but Triple H turns around and rocks on the ground and Triple H looks up at the referee and he goes, Errol, F off. This is our match. If they don't F and like it, then just F off. And then they continue with the match. Uh, and that's because Errol was constantly going to Triple H saying, you need to do this. They want you to do that. They want you to set this up for Kurt coming back. And he just wouldn't oh. do it because they're totally improvising. So for a match that could have fallen apart, they did a great job, don't you think? Well, it was two of the best ever to do that. You know what I mean? So. um yeah, I love stories like that. It's really cool. See when The Rock comes out uh, for his entry, obviously Triple H and Angle to have their brawl beforehand, mm-hmm. and then Rock enters after. It's a bit like uh, Kane, Big Show, and Raven at WrestleMania 17. <laughs> uh, a bit, a bit le- less um, momentum for that one. But when The Rock comes out, when I was watching him walk down the aisle and just like he had the belt and his hair and his trunks on and stuff, I was like, that is so my childhood rock you know what i mean i just had hit yeah. right in the face with nostalgia with the music and the way he walked and everything i just like he just looked like the rock in his prime you know what i mean 2000 mm-hmm. rock on top i love it it's it's that was when i just thought the rock was good i had the t-shirt and stuff like that i sent you that picture a couple weeks ago when i was a wee boy i was lying on the yeah. floor of my kitchen it was wearing, adorable i was wearing that guy on my t-shirt you know so it's funny seeing that Okay, well, since we have rambled on for a good hour and nearly a half, we're going to have to call it a day there, and we'll pick up next Sunday um, on the day of SummerSlam. That will be released, by the way. Day of SummerSlam the will be the SummerSlam episode. That will be part two, covering from SummerSlam 2001 all the way to 19. We're going to do the same format, talking about the main events only. It gives us some extra times to catch up and some stuff that we may have missed out. And we'll be back for another episode next week. Does that sound good? 
That sounds perfect. Like I love this concept. It'd be cool to to kind of close it off with the next twenty years worth of SummerSlam next week. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've really enjoyed this. So um, I'd like to think that by the time this goes out, like the world obviously should know something a bit more about how twenty twenty SummerSlam is going to go. So uh, yeah, I'm intrigued to see how that goes, and I've enjoyed going through this so far. Looking forward to next week. Tune in next week, everybody, and we will run through the more recent episodes of SummerSlam and uh, maybe we'll talk about things that we are more familiar with. I'm sure we'll ramble on then just as much as we have today. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. Stay tuned for next week's episode here on the Wrestling Connection Podcast. I, I know your every move. I've heard your every word. I know you well. And I Got nothing left to prove Your threats I find absurd I am your hell Every time You think that I'm done I'll come back stronger Nothing left till my legs are gone. You won't forget me. Cause I will fight till my final breath. Just to see you fall, I'll make you fear me. Every time you think I'm done, I'll come back stronger.